We'll begin this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We are beginning our new series on prayer, which I'm very excited about because I think I need this more than any of you. And before we begin, let us pray and ask for help. Father, you know our frame. We come before you as those who often can be so full of ourselves, so self-interested, so self-seeking, so self-focused. Father, I'm overcome at times by the realization of my own pride. And yet, Father, we know that unless you by your Spirit work in us, Unless you'd pity us and look upon us and grant us this grace, we're lost. We're without hope. We know, Father, we can't change our hearts. We can't stir our souls. We can't walk in your ways. Yet we know that if you, O God, would show mercy, And visit us. Fill us with your spirit and strengthen us. Our hearts will be changed. Our souls will be stirred. We will walk in your ways. We will know life, light, and glory. Father, we ask this morning that you would teach us to pray. And help us above all things to understand you, to know you. Because, Father, as we know you, we know ourselves. And as we know you, we'll know the importance of prayer. So we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, as I had mentioned, this is going to be a series on prayer. And um, I don't, I'm still working on the exact fullness of this outline. It's developing and growing and changing and shifting So I can't determine right now exactly how long this will take, but uh, (laughs) right now just know that uh, this should be a hopefully a wonderful journey for us all as we discover this whole idea of prayer and what God has to say about it in his word. Because as I study and the more I read, the more I, I realized how much of an infant I am in this regard. And how much actually the Bible says about it and, and, and how many people pray and how God answers and what's going on in the dynamics of prayer and why does God not answer at times and why does he seem so distant and, and what's going on? What is, what is, how is it this the sovereign God uses our prayers and, and, and how should we pray and what should we not pray for and all these questions. And I feel like the more I read and study, the more questions I have. And, and so I hopefully on this journey, we can really really get to understand what prayer is all about. And my heart and passion is that we would become a people of prayer. We would truly become prayer warriors, those who beseech the Lord and see the heavens move because we've sought our Lord and we understand who he is and how he answers prayer. If you were to describe your prayer life this morning, would you say it's a duty or a delight? 
Or is there um, desperate situations in your lives where you find that, you know, when things are tough, when things are difficult, I become a pretty good prayer. And then when things let up and God seems to bring ease, it's not so good. So are you kind of a prayer who's defined by emergencies? Or are you a prayer who's just delights to commune with God and prays about all things? I think if we ask these questions honestly, we, we start to realize that, uh, you know, we are often people who pray simply because of urgency. Or we do it out of duty. Heck, why should we bow our heads before this meal? Why should we gather around and say, let's pray? So we all pray. Why do we do that? Is it just because, man, you know, we're, I'm so thankful. Let's pray. We need to give thanks to our God for what's in front of us. Or is it because, heck, that's what we do, right? It's very easy for things to become re- routine and duty and it's just the thing you do. And all of a sudden you find, man, my mouth was moving. <laughs> my brain was somewhere else. I didn't even know what was going on. How easy was it this morning? We said, Let, and, you know, we pray as our Lord has taught us, our Father who art in heaven, you know, blah, 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 y'all. What would it, what did they just say? Well, I should probably think about it. You know, we, we, all of us, struggle, I think, in our flesh especially with the idea of prayer. And I think when it comes to really becoming a people of prayer, you know what I think the bedrock is, the foundation? We really have to get to know and understand who our God is. It's not enough for me to say, people, we need to pray. God commands us to pray, so we ought to. We really, I think, need to understand who is this God we pray to? What is he like? And when we, we wrap our minds around that, we come to understand him and more deeply get him and his ways. I really truly, truly believe that prayer will begin to make sense. You see, wow, we really need to pray. Prayer ought to be a very central component to our lives. If we, you know, I think we'll come to the conclusion that if we understand God and we understand how it is he uses prayer, we'll see that, you know, in fact, it's probably the most important thing we could do. But it usually gets tacked on at the beginning of end of things that we do. Because after all, if I got up here and I started the sermon without prayer, something might be wrong. That's kind of how we get to think about our routines. So here's, and the question is, why do we pray? I'd like us to begin to try to answer that. Why do we pray? And fundamentally, we pray because of who our God is. Now, the question from that follows, well, who is our God? And this is why I had us turn to Genesis chapter 1, because I want us to see something fundamentally about him. And none of this is going to be, wow, I've never heard that before. Most of it's going to be by way of reminder. We got to remember who our God is. But beyond that, even beyond this sermon today, we need to meditate on this, these things. Chew them over. Ask the question, wow, you know, think about that for a moment. Why does he do that? So meditating, mauling, going over, asking a million questions of one particular verse in Scripture will do your soul good. It's not like you're going you're gonna to hear this and go, man, you know, I've never heard that before. And now that I know it, it's changing everything. It, doesn't, it often doesn't happen that way. But as we meditate on it, as we mull it over, and God begins to grip our hearts, it changes us. 
The first thing I want us to see in Genesis 1, and this is a foundational understanding, but it's not, it needs to be built upon. It's just a, just a component about who God is. And I know you know this, but God is powerful. And it's foundational that we understand this in regard to prayer. I want us to turn to Genesis 1 because we're going to see power that is not even understood or known in the world. This is power beyond power. Because if you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and you look at verse 3, it begins, And God said, Let there be light. And guess what? There was light. Let's not miss that. That is raw power. So God says, let there be light, and guess what? There was light. Now jump down to verse 6. This is where all the God says. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate from the waters. From the waters. And guess what happened? Look down at the end, 7b there, the last part of verse 7, just before verse 8. This is a common phrase throughout here. And it was so. God says, it happens, and that's the way it works. God just can take anything. These things don't even exist. It's like we can take some things. Could you imagine, you know, those of you who've ever constructed something, you take materials, and this is the image of God in us, and we create something. We might build it with our hands, and we, you know, whether it's painting or whether it's art or whether it's construction, and we put it together, and we look back, and it was so. But could you imagine especially anybody who's ever constructed something or does this for a living, to be able to stand back and just say, be built. (laughs) And look nice. And it was so. (laughs) Now that is of a whole different dynamic. Um, We're talking power that is just not even fathomable, like literally off the charts, Cosmos, the things that we, we think, think of the sun itself, whoa, raging power, this burning ball of gas, whipping, you know, these flames off it, and it heats us and warms us, and we enjoy it. it's, it's light and it's, it's heat. And God just said, sun? Yes? Wow. Milky Way galaxy? Yes? And it was so. He goes down, look at verse, verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let all the dry land appear. And guess what? What does he say? And it was so. Verse 11, same thing all the way through this. And God said, let the earth spring forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed and each according to its kind on earth. And guess what? And it was so. And it was so. God said, and it was so. That is power. If God can just say it, and it will be so, we have to understand this is power like you have never seen or understood. Creation, all of creation. It's not like he just does it, though, the first time. Genesis chapter 1. Okay, here is where he just shazams everything. You know that he's busy working in creation, and he demonstrates throughout Scripture that I am God. And what that means is that I'm in control of all of creation. All of it. We see this in the flood. God said it's going to rain. Rain. It rains. 40 days. Done. It's finished. God works through creation in mighty ways in Exodus. We all know the Exodus story. 
these 10 plagues he sends. And the reason he sends, sends these 10 plagues is because Pharaoh believes in gods, in the gods of the Nile, gods of the sky, and the uh, god of the sun. So that was particular about Egyptian gods. They weren't like a, just a pantheon. They believed in the uh, earth, the sea, and the sky. There was these major gods. And the sun god was the ultimate god, and that was represented in Pharaoh. So guess what? God shows up. He says, okay. <laughs> okay, um, Nile god, sky god, and sun god, we'll, uh, let's take you on. So Moses shows up with his staff and says, we'll see who's God. And he messes with all these categories. He messes with the Nile. He messes with the land. He messes with, this, with, with this, uh, you know, making the sun and everything going dark. And not only that, finally, who does he mess with? Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's firstborn. Now, if you can take out Pharaoh's firstborn, who is, guess what, heir to the throne, who is what? He's, a, he's this God who's going to take the throne. You're saying, you got anything else for me? God takes them all on. And it does, it, that's just the beginning. So these 10 plagues, he does things that are just astounding with creation. He shows that, hey, I can whistle and I can bring so many locusts coming my way that it'll devour everything. Billions, zillions of them. And all I say is, go get them, boys. Frogs, you want frogs? He can whistle, and there they are. Frogs, yes, sir. What do you want from us, sir? And that's how powerful he is. Water, we see in the sea, we see, we see water splitting, doing what water doesn't do. Water lays flat and runs downhill, follows gravity, right? Not according to God, God says it does what I want. If I want it to split and pile up in a heap, and there to be you know, a wall on either side, say, hey, you know what, that does, water doesn't do that. God says, yeah, water does what I tell water to do. And then he flips, he does the opposite of it all. Where does food normally come from? The ground. No, I don't want food to come from the ground. I'm going to drop it from heaven. Where does water normally come from? Springs, lakes, glaciers, seas. Uh-uh, not this time, rock. The exact opposite. Hit the rock. Water's going to come out of it. Why? He's showing that all of creation and everything that exists, and we looked at this in Joshua, and the crossing of the Jordan, causing the sun to stand still. God says, I am God, and all these things are the way they are because I tell them to do this, and they obey me. And we get used to it, and we call it nature, natural. No, they're just obedient to God, speaking his word to them. We can go on and on, and we see that creation, all of creation itself, does God's bidding. I love the story of Jesus, because all you have to go through is read the Gospels, and you see that creation just does his bidding. Hey, I want some wine. Well, no, let me tell you, in order to have wine, you need grapes. They've got to ferment. They gotta change, you, know, you need at least 10 days for it, to, to, for it to fulfill the whole process. Jesus said, no, I just need some water. I don't even need water. If those containers were full of water, you'd just say, I want wine, and it's wine. He walks on water. He calms storms. He causes trees to wither and die. He multiplies food and raises people from the dead. All why? All because God has power over all creation. And Jesus is saying, he's showing and revealing 
that this, you know, you shouldn't be able to walk on water. We all know that. But not if God says. He even showed the Peter, hey, Peter, come and join me. You can walk on water too, as long as you believe. Oh, it looks like you're doubting. <laughs> I better help you out. So he controls all of creation. He's that powerful. Not only that, he also controls all of circumstances in life. So he's not just a creational God out there in the heavens dictating and doing things creationally. He's working through circumstances. Great stories that show the mighty hand of God. Even, get this, he even works, he loves to work through ironic plot twists. Where everything's working against you. He says, I'm going to take Joseph and I'm going to put him at the right hand of power. Make him the most powerful man in all the earth. And it's going to happen through just one tragic event after another. And it's going to be those tragic events, the throwing into the pit, the going in, into Potiphar's house and you know, throwing into prison. And it's because of all these events. I'm going to use those events to make him the most powerful man in the world at the time. Everyone was designed to kill him. Not only that, this book of Esther, the whole book of Esther, you know the God's name is not mentioned once. Yet he is at work in the circumstances of life. His people are in captivity. And he has this beautiful Jewish lady, girl, this maiden, Esther, and her uncle, Mordecai. And through just ironic bends and twists and ways in which they're they're going to kill and, and eliminate the Jews, they think they've plotted a grand scheme. God uses it all to hang Haman on his own gallows and deliver the Jews circumstances of life. God's just not this creator God in charge of the creation. He's, he's involved in the circumstances. And especially, I love the book of Esther, even when you think he's not there. The God who is there, but you can't see him. The God who works out all the details in life, but makes you think he doesn't. Circumstantially, he is powerful. And not only that, he works through creatures, men and beasts. He's at work in them. The scriptures are a fascinating story. There's no fairy tale like them. (laughs) Because they're beyond um, believable at times, unless you understand the God we serve. You've got to understand the God we serve, otherwise you're almost embarrassed by the stories. I want to make a woman. Let's pull a rib out. Make a woman out of that. Let's make a donkey talk. Let's give so much strength to this one man that he can take the jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand men. Anything else? Oh, yeah, okay, I'll I'll shut the mouth of lions. I'll make these, this den of lions. We know lions. We all know lions. uh, um, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Be happy. Lick him to death. Why, they're like puppies. I mean, we got, uh, they turn into golden retrievers. (laughs) What's going on here? Because all of creation, even the beasts and men alike, you know, God is in control. And we have to, it's foundational in our praying. We've got to understand that God is powerful, but not only that. Because that's, that's just one component. We're not just going to pray because, you know, he's all powerful. I want us to also understand that God is also, has incredible, limitless amounts of resources. Because there's, there's another factor here. When we think of resources, we think of the things that we think we need in order to get by in life. How many of you wouldn't want an extra, you know, couple hundred thousand a year? We all think, well, that would, that would solve and help a lot. 
we think that, we believe that. We think, you know, if, we, if I only had more of dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Often we think what we need are just more resources. If I had more resources, man, you think of what we could do. <laughs> okay, this is why prayer is so important, because we don't understand the God we serve. Just think of that. When we think, if we had more resources, man, what we could do, right? Psalm 50, 10 through 12, tells you how many resources your father has. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds on the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all its fullness. Our Father owns it all. Every penny, every speck. He says, mine. I own it. Another great passage that speaks on this is 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 14. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor, guess where they come? It says, comes from you. And you reign over all. Your hand is power, and in your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give to all. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. So we're saying there, and what, we only give back to you what you gave to us. It's all yours. So now if you create gold by speaking, or anything else of value, you're pretty wealthy. You can pretty much say it. If you own everything, if there's nothing that you don't own, you create it, you own it, it's yours, um, I'll give it to them and not to them. Riches, limit, un, limitless riches. There's nothing that your father, your father, folks, your father owns it all. Everything. So the next time you hear someone bragging to you about all that they possess, you need to think to yourself, moron. It's my father's, and he's given it to you. You're a steward. It's his. Understand, folks, that what you have and what you don't have, the father is deciding these things. Israel kind of forgot this, and we forget it too. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, he talks about, he tells them what's going to happen to you guys, because I know your heart, I know what you're like, and I know how you think. You're going to forget, and your pride is going to begin to twist things. He says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And then you say in your heart, and this is what you say in your heart, my power and my might have gained me this great wealth. Goes on to say, you shall remember. When you get to that stupid point, you shall remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. 
who gave it to you. Now, get back to the original question that I asked you. As we say, you know what, if I only had or if we only had, you know, it was so limited in resources. What? You're a child of God. You are in the family of God. You're in Christ. Hello, folks. Your father owns everything. Everything. It's your father. Don't ever say, if we only had, then we could. That's unbelief. You have what your father decides you to have. And understand one thing. If we need, he's powerful. He he owns it all. If you have need, where ought you to go? To my father who owns it all. If that doesn't right away, you know, two plus two equals four. You know, God is powerful. God owns everything. I ought to pray. It helps us understand, you know, why, why should we pray? Well, we should pray because our God, he's powerful over everything. And because his riches are endless, he owns everything. But it gets better. And we're only getting started. Because there's so much about the nature of our God himself that we have to understand. And when we do, it really does start to help us to understand. Why ought we to pray? Well, lastly, it's because of this, just this morning in, uh, in as the series goes on, you're going to understand and see that there's, a, there's a multiple reasons in the nature of God himself. But this morning, I want to say one more thing that I think brings the, two, the first two together. He is gracious. He's gracious. Sure, he's powerful. And sure, he has limitless resources. But if you think for a moment, and he does what he wants, he's sovereign. Is that going to lead you to prayer? No. You think he just does what he wants. It doesn't matter what I say anyways. I've prayed. Man, I've prayed. He isn't hearing me. Nothing's happening. Well, you've got to understand, folks, he is kind, gracious, and loves to answer his children. And we're going to see, like I said, we're going to see that how much he loves to hear us pray. A great example of God's graciousness is what was read for us this morning. I don't know if you remember Deuteronomy chapter 9. He's speaking in there what takes place in Israel. Israel has hard-hearted. They just constantly, they grumble, they complain, they turn from him, and they doubt him. They say, no, 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 we're not going to go into the land. There's too big and too scary. It's like, who's on your side? You know? We're not, oh, where, where's the food, oh God? Who's God? Pours it from heaven. We're thirsty. You brought us in here to die. You want water? I'll give it to you from a rock. So God was constantly showing them kindness and love. And yet, what are they doing to him? Spurning him, rejecting him, not believing him, not trusting him, not looking to him. Hello, he's saying, people. And then finally, they turn to another God. Moses is up with the, with the Lord on the mountain receiving instructions. And God says, go down there. I'm going to wipe those people out because he knows what they're doing down there. They're making a golden calf. He says, I am, I am, I am fed up with these people. And and he goes on to say in verse 13, Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their names from under heaven and I'll make you a nation mightier and greater than they. And then in verse 18 through 20, we have Moses' response. How many of us wouldn't say, 
That sounds pretty good. A great nation from me. I've been with these people for a long time now, and they are a pain, a total pain. I think you're right, God. We, you probably ought to smite them, take them out. Look what, he, look what Moses did. And I fell down before the Lord as at first. Forty days and nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Anger. That's terribly convicting for me. As somebody, as God appoints as a leader, and you say, you know, the people are struggling, is the first response to, to fall on our face and fast and pray and just beseech the Lord because we're, and Moses isn't saying, calculating, how can I manipulate God? I should, off, I should fast. No, he's just torn apart inside. He's fasting because he can't think about eating because God is thinking about destroying these people. So he falls on his face and he pleads with God that God would not destroy them. And he says, Father, remember, remember, O God, the covenant you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You swore that you'd make him a great nation. You promised. You said you wouldn't do this. And he pleads with them for 40 days and 40 nights. He says, I was afraid of the hot anger and displeasure of the Lord. He, that he was angry with you. Guess what? How this in verse 19. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And God preserved Aaron as well. God changed his mind. He listened to Moses. God is gracious. No matter, these people deserve to be struck dead 15 times by now. And, and, and Moses pleads on their behalf. He goes to them because he knows God is gracious. He knows God will keep his promise. And he pleads with them 40 days and 40 nights. And he, and he fasts and he, he cries out to God because he knows he's gracious. And he knows God, God will hear him. And God does. We see this in other places in Scripture. Hezekiah became proud heart became lifted up for God and God speaks through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 38 1 through 6 he says in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death and Isaiah the prophet the son of Amaz went to him and said to him thus says the Lord set your house in order for you shall die and not live then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall he's lying on his bed and he prayed to the Lord and he said Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He's weeping before the Lord. And look at what the God does. So he's acted wickedly, sinfully before God. God sends a prophet, says, I'm going to, you're done. I'm going to destroy you. You're going you're to die. But Hezekiah understands God. He knows his ways. He knows who he is. And so he prays, he beseeches the Lord, he weeps bitterly before him. In verse 4, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Why does he do that? Because... Hezekiah is just so deserving 
Does he do that? No, he does it because he's just so good. He's so kind. And Hezekiah does deserve to die for how he acted. But he doesn't do that. Hezekiah pleads with him, cries out to him. And guess what? God's gracious. And he heals him. And he says, no, I'm going to bless you because you sought me. You came to me and you wept before me and you cried out to me. And he hears. We see this in Psalm 107. What a, what a psalm. Psalm 107 just talks about how kind and how good God is. He hears the cries of all men, no matter who they are. This is not, it's not the people of God in Israel. He hears the cries of those who are outside of Israel. Psalm 107, 17 through 19. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles, and he saved them out of their distresses. And then it goes on in verse 23 through 28. Those who go down to the sea and the ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commanded and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. Their soul melts because of trouble. And any of you have ever been on the sea and caught in a storm, you know, it's pretty terrifying business. <laughs> terrifying their soul, it says their soul melts. And, and they're, they're, it says they reel and they stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. And guess what happens when they're at their wit's end? He goes on to say, then, then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And guess what? He brings them out of their distresses. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is so kind. He hears. I just, re- just this week read a story about... This, uh, this Christian man who's on the airplane with this young man, this atheist. But it's, it's interesting how the story develops. They get talking about what his plans are. He's going to Mexico to spend some time with um, actually d- just investigating Mexico City. And so as they were talking away, this, the traveling companion, this atheist kid said, um, asked what I was reading. And I blushed, thinking, this is sure to kill the conversation. Because this kid's a high school janitor. I handed him my copy of St. Augustine's of the Trinity. He took one look at it and he asked, are you a Christian? Yes. Are you a Christian? I expected him to say yes, but he replied, oh no, I'm an atheist. At least I think I am. That comment took me so much by surprise that I sat in silence for a moment. But the other fellow continued the conversation. He said, do you believe in prayer? Yes, I do. Why? At that time, we were experiencing the ordeal of Denny's hepatitis. He's talking about how his, his son got hepatitis and how God had been answering. So I related to my traveling companion how God was touching and healing our son. I finished telling about the miracle that had taken place in Denny's life by saying, yes, I believe in prayer. My atheist friend looked at me and said, that's wonderful. That's amazing. You know, I think I believe in prayer too. Why, I asked. Well, he said, I had vicious migraine headaches that were destroying me. I went to every specialist that I thought could give me medical help and found no help at all, or no hope at all. The headaches were so unbearable that I decided to, I would commit suicide. But that made me think, hmm, religious people pray, and they say that that helps sometimes. I do suppose it, it wouldn't hurt me to pray. But how does, how does an atheist pray? I didn't know whether there was anyone to hear my prayer or if there was some, were someone, whether he'd be interested in me or, or if he were interested, 
whether he could help me or not. So I prayed. I don't know whether you are or not, and I don't know whether you could or not, and I don't know whether you would or not, but if you are and if you could and if you would, I would be most grateful. The most amazing thing is that my headaches went away. (laughs) I thought, what a lucky coincidence and a happy one. Then I had a second thought. That's a cheap way out. What if there is someone out there who is interested in me? What if there is someone out there who did this? And when I, and then I give credit to chance. So I decided to pray again. I don't know whether you did it or not. I don't even know whether you are or not. But if you are and you did, I want you to know my gratitude. (laughs) And he goes on to talk about how this conversation led in just this amazing direction, seeing that as as it went along, this guy, he begins to understand the God who answers prayer. And what I love about this story is like, our God, this guy doesn't serve him, doesn't believe in him, doesn't trust him in any way, but just by happenstance throws it out there. And I've heard a fair amount of stories about people who in desperation say, I don't know who you are or what, but I know that maybe this works and so I'm going to do it. And and God answers. This is actually how my sister came to know um, the Lord. Why does he do this? These people who don't, they hate him. They cry out to him and he answers them. He does it because he's so, so good. He's so gracious. We could go on with stories about how people who don't simply, they don't deserve it. He's not looking, who deserves? Who deserves to hear my, get my answers? No. And you know, if he doesn't answer you at times... It's what we need. The no or the hesitation or the pause or the delay is what we need. He's such a good and gracious heavenly father that he doesn't want to give his children something that would hurt them. Sometimes, oh, God, just give me give me a lot more money because I know that would fix everything. No, 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 no. I'd make it all worse. But we have to understand that if, if we get this, that no, you know what? If my God is all-powerful, my God has all these riches, and my God is this gracious, why am I not praying more? Why? Because I think we misunderstand who our God is. Why are you not praying more? Why are you not beseeching the Lord? Do you have troubles? Do you have anxiety? Do you have difficulties? Do you, what's going on in your life? And it doesn't matter what it is. You need to bring it before the Lord and be sincerely honest. Stop the lip moving and head other in some other planet and thinking that, well, I pray, nothing happens. Sometimes, you know, are, are, you, are you really? Are you earnest? I, I, you know... If, you, if you're in need of comfort and you literally cry out to God, don't you think he'll answer you? I know he will. He's answered me. I'm here to testify to you. He will answer you. If you're in need of wisdom and you cry out to God, do you think he'll answer you? I know he will. I've done it and he's answered me. If you're in need of finances... 
and you cry out to God, will he answer you? I know he will. I've done it, and he's answered me. If you're in need of anything, and you cry out to him in sincerity and truth, people, he will answer you. He will draw near to you. There's not a single time that, we, that God, we've not cried out to the Lord our God. He's not heard us. He hears us. And you'll come to us and rescue us in our times of need. He's faithful. And we need to pray. We need to pray because of who he is. You want a good reason? It isn't because God says, pray, pray, I want you to pray. You should pray to him. You should delight to pray to him. Why? Because he is so powerful, so merciful, so abundant in riches, and so darn good. In fact, understanding him, and as we're going to grow in our understanding of him, really, um, we, with conviction we say, you know what? Unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. Not just say it because we know that's in the Bible, but you really mean it. Because you begin to understand, this is God's work. This is a God thing. I need him in all of life. And he is the one who can rescue, save, deliver, provide, help, strengthen, give me anything and everything I need. He has it. What do you need? James tells us, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. You may spend it on your own pleasures. Any you in need of wisdom, he says, pray, and the Lord will give you what you need. Seek the Lord. And sometimes we need to learn how to seek him with flowing tears. Please, oh God, please. Stop your scheming, stop your planning, because that's what we do. And I know because that's what I do. You're in trouble? Don't come up with a new plan. Don't come up with a new scheme, a new way, a new strategy. I've got to figure it out this time. Stop trying to get yourself out of all the problems and being so proud and full of yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Cry out to him and he'll deliver. Watch his mighty hand in your life. And then after that, you cannot praise your schemes. You cannot praise your plans. You cannot praise your ideas. Who can you praise but a Lord your God? It's him alone who's given us these things. Blessed be his name. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you, you are so powerful. You are so abundant in riches. You are so gracious. There is none like you. Forgive us for looking to ourselves, for looking to, our, to other men, to look, for, for looking to schemes and plans and dreams and not looking to you. Oh, Father, convict us that we would look to you, cry out to you, humble ourselves before you, and watch your mighty hand move on our behalf. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.